Welcome to BNY Mellon Perspectives. I'm Jolyn Anderson, Global Head of Human Resources at BNY Mellon. Our guest today is a leading entrepreneur, investor, and of course, co-host of ABC's hit series, Shark Tank, Damon John. As the founder, CEO, and master marketer behind the global lifestyle and clothing brand, FUBU, Damon John built his business from the ground up into a global retail giant with more than $6 billion in sales. Damon John is one of the most prolific and consequential Black investors of our time, and we are so pleased to welcome him. Damon, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for such a great intro. It's all true, and so that's that's really why we want to spend this time with you and introduce this conversation for all of our listeners. But can we just start from the beginning and maybe go back to the beginning? You grew up in Queens, New York, and your entrepreneurial talents were apparent at an early age. And in fact, you were selling homemade hats and T-shirts uh, from, you know, since for, for years, right? And more than two dozen banks turned you down for a loan when you launched your clothing line, FUBU. What kept you going? You know, that's a good question because actually, I, I think, you know, you said it. So I opened FUBU actually in 89 and I closed it down three times from 89 to 92 because I just ran out of money, but I would run out of $500, $1,000. I was making affordable mistakes. Um, I think 92 was a very similar year to 2020 in our country. Um, Rodney King had happened. There was uh, the choco was being implemented. Um, I think Bill, Bill Barr was in the White, uh, in the White House. Um, people were walking all, of all colors. They were marching in the street over what they felt was injustice, and they were burning businesses instead of building businesses. And I realized at that time that um, the only way for me to 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 empower myself was to tap into my community and and find a way to you know not just rah 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 you know what was I going to do and uh, and then I, I made a go at Fubu in '92. I really wouldn't get public recognition until '97, '98. But what kept me going is I had three great partners who uh, who who stuck by my side, an amazing mother. Um, who believed in me, a community uh, that believed in me, um, customers that believed in me, and I was doing something I loved. Um, and and I, you know, and I blinked my eye, and ten years would would pass by. Yeah, it, I so appreciate to your point the similarities between the time in which you began the brand and and where we found ourselves as a country in 2020 and to today. And I know that you know some of the T-shirts you were making so said things like what happened to Rodney King, and I'm sure those things really spoke to our community and really resonated with people at that time um, and sort of using streetwear and design to send those messages um, was really a key moment. And I'm sure it actually helped the brand stand out in a major way. And, you know, it's funny because Boo actually remains one of the few streetwear brands from the late nineties and early two thousands that survived and remained black owned. So what's your secret to maintaining the company's success? Well, the company has went through its ups and downs. Uh, you know, listen, uh, the reality is most fashion brands last five to seven years. Uh, you know, there's unicorns like Nike and Louis Vuitton, you know, but it's not just uh, brands of color. But, you know, when I got into the market, Levi's is doing 18 billion. I think they're doing 3 billion now. It's still great, but it hurts, right? Um, where is United Color of Benetton? Where is La Tigra? I mean, there's so, so, so. You know, brands, you know, and what happens is, uh, you know, a, a kid who has four years of FUBU in their closet, um, you know, and they're in high school, they move on to college, they may want to change up their look. They're in a different frame of mind. 
But I think what was what, what what keeps football alive, and we are we are probably at ten uh, percent of where we used to be in regards to global sales. But we do really well in um, we're we're one of the top brands in the Philippines and South Africa and Germany, and you know we're starting to get back into Australia and bringing the brand here. You know, people are buying it now. But you know, I think I think it's the authenticity. It's just that. You know, we don't do anything that we feel that our consumer would never want us to do. We don't stress it. We understand when people buy other things. We don't, how dare you? Um, and, you know, and we, we just keep we keep pushing ourselves. And we, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But, you know, um, we don't want to sell the brand. Yeah. No, I so appreciate that, that connection, that authenticity, to your point. Really staying grounded in the roots of the company makes a lot of sense. And you know, I look back at the work that you do and and entrepreneurs in general, frankly, you know, my background is as an attorney before I became an HR person. So um, that's that bug, that sense of being an entrepreneur is not something that always resonates with me. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's something that you're born with, if it's a calling, it's a talent, but certainly we know that we need more Black entrepreneurs for sure. So I just love your perspective on what you think the future of black entrepreneurship is? Well, I think entrepreneurial thinking is something that all of us can execute. I think that you, even when you work within a big system, that's very hard to do. You know, you're working with a lot of personalities. You're looking, you're working with regulations. You got to hit the numbers, the board, the stock. So uh, it's not easy. And I think that there is entrepreneurial thinking within a system or so, you know, Um, black entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the, the challenge we have as black entrepreneurs is that we just don't come from legacy wealth. We don't come from grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents giving us the fundamentals of what they did to establish these businesses and when we're four, five, and six, and seven years old, right? I think also, yeah, we we uh, there are systemic issues that do hinder our progress. We do not have a fair, a fair shake at it the way that other people do. So how do we empower ourselves now? Well, we go out and seek mentors. We go educate ourselves. You know, we do understand the banking system. We do go and talk to a banker. Most people in this country don't have financial intelligence. And African-Americans, if you were marginalized or systemic issues or, or, you know, have, have of course, hindered us all, then you even have less of a chance of success as some of our counterparts do. And we have to educate our entire community. We have to start looking at people like you as the hero in the community. You know, we, you know, there's rappers, I get it, there's rappers and there's athletes, but there's there's more people in the community, heroes in the community who are dressed up like uh, the heroes that are in disguise in our community. The heroes in disguise, they're, they are city workers, they're teachers, they're, 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 they're members of the church. Um, and, you know, often, you know, we, we let the media glamorize everybody else except for the ones we should be listening to. Yeah, I think what you say just resonates so much. And the idea of financial literacy and making sure that people have connection to address some of the systemic issues that you mentioned is, is so critical. And I know you personally put a lot of work into addressing some of those systemic issues. And in fact, last year, I know that you hosted your second Black Entrepreneurship Day at the Apollo Theater. And the NAACP gave grants of 25000 to 10 Black entrepreneurs 61 million people watched this thing online. Tell us about what that was like. What was your biggest takeaway with respect to that event? Well, very exciting. It was very exciting because uh, this is my second one. The first one started right after what happened with George Floyd. As I said, I saw people uh, burning businesses instead of building it. And I figured that 
Um, a lot of these young brothers and sisters just need to know how they can apply that energy to build something stronger in their community. Um, so I, I figured somebody else was going to do it, but nobody else did at the moment. And I called up a couple of corporate friends. I called up a couple of celebrities. And, uh, you know, I found that people like uh, Chase and, uh, you know, and Facebook and so many people wanted to give money and help and the general wanted to give money to help. So we gave away, as you said. 10 grants of $25,000 to small businesses that need to keep their doors open. And I interviewed people like Shaquille O'Neal and Bob Johnson and LL Cool J and Ice-T and people who um, you wanted to hear what trials and tribulations they went through at early stages in their life or even today. So you can say, oh, I'm going through it too. Okay, it's not that bad. And you want to see people up on that stage that you want to be like or you want to relate to. And listen, I, I just hope that it helped people and we're going to keep doing it. But it really showed me that a lot of the companies out there do want to get behind initiatives of empowering the communities that they serve. It's so true. And certainly, again, resonates with me. And, and same at BNY Mellon, a lot of work that we do is definitely trying to do work in communities, bring messages like this forward and make sure that we are advancing pathways uh, for, for underrepresented talent in many different ways. Um, I know it's probably no surprise the top hour thing that most people try to talk to you about is your time with ABC Shark Tank. Uh, it's a fantastic show. I know many people really enjoy it. And I'm sure many of our listeners, of course, have seen you in action on the show. So what's the biggest challenge in being a shark? The biggest challenge in being a shark is actually saying no, um, especially after COVID. You know, you know, you couldn't go on the show and say before COVID, my business was screwed. And by the way, now I'm really screwed. That's probably not a good pitch. But most people uh, we have seen are, uh, there's a lot of resilient people to get on that stage and say, before COVID, either I was working someplace or my business wasn't doing well. I pivoted, I shifted, and boom. And it's just to us, it's up to us to say no. You know, a lot of people sit there and say to me, Damon, how dare you judge those people? No, no, no. Only God can judge you. I'm only judging if this investment is right for me. That does not mean that it's a bad investment. I may not know anything about that area of business. I add no value. You take my money and then you call me for help. I can't help you. Shouldn't that money come from somebody who can give you some answers, give you distribution, some technology? So the biggest problem and challenge is say no because you know, it's infectious when you see somebody get up there and they risk everything. They have a great smile. They, you know, they, they're going to be great partners. They're good people. And you have to say no to them in front of, you know, millions of people. It, it's hurtful. Um, and you wish them the best. You know, Kevin O'Leary would say, oh, stop that business and it's going to crap. I'm not going to say that. How dare I say that? Because who are we to say, what's the next Rubik's Cube or, or, uh, um, uh, was it, what was that one? The Snuggie. If somebody told you I got two holes in a blanket, you'd have been like, uh, and they'd be like, and I'm going to do $300 million. What would you have said, right? Or the pet rock. It's not my position to tell you that. So that's the hardest thing is saying no. And we don't know anything about those people. Um, and an average pitch is an hour long. There's 16 cameras shooting a pitch. So it's 16 hours of footage to come up with the eight minutes that you finally see. Wow. Wow. I had no idea that. Thank you for that little behind the scenes insight. And I can imagine that you meet these entrepreneurs and they have such passion and commitment to their businesses and certainly prioritizing and understanding where you can get involved and really working on projects and that you're passionate about and you feel like you can help with um, become sort of the guidepost. And 
So with that in mind, I mean, I'd love to hear about what one of your favorite investments from Shark Tank was and why was it the most rewarding? My favorite in, my favorite investment from Shark Tank is the number one product that's ever invested in the Shark Tank history. Um, now, Ring Doorbell did not get an investment, but they sold for $1.2, $1.3 billion to Amazon. But the one that did get an investment is mine. So why is that one of the, the my, my most fulfilling moments? Well, first of all, I can tell all those bozos, I call my fellow sharks, I can just remind them that I have number one. So <laughs> just, from, just from a superficial ego right, side, right, 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 right. it's really working out for me. But it's Bomba Socks and, you know, and, and I had already, I went on the show, I had, I had 10 clothing brands. Nine of them were dead. It was 07. Nobody was buying clothes and they couldn't pay their rent. Last thing I wanted was another clothing company because I want to diversify my portfolio. I want to be able to go to the department stores and say, I'll take, I'll, I'll sell you some Kooji and Fubu on this floor, but I want a real estate for fragrance over here. I want real estate for plates. Okay. So mm. last thing I wanted was socks. They come on, they pitch me, but it was fascinating. They were dealing direct to retail. I mean, directed the consumer because social media started to change at that moment. Right around year uh, 2010, 2011, people started to really buy more than retailers. So I was at the mercy of the retailers. Plus, every time they sold a pair of socks, they gave away a pair to those in need, the homeless. And so far to date, we've given away uh, socks, underwear, and shirts. We've given away 60 million pairs to, wow. to people in need. Well, why else is it fulfilling? Because I realized one thing. I'm used to the old way of marketing. I splash a big old fubu, a kooji on something. Everybody sees it. If everybody watching us today was wearing a pair of bomber socks, we would not know because it's covered by their shoes. But today's consumer not only wants to know what you're doing for them because the sock, the sock is a beautiful sock. They want to know what you're doing for somebody else. And unlike 20 years ago where I may have said I gave at the end of the office, my daughter, who was 18 years old, who works in a pizza parlor, will tell me, I gave 20 times this year. How did you give 20 times? You work in a pizza parlor. Every time I bought this, I helped clean up the ocean. Every time I bought this, I tried to stop human trafficking. Every mm -hmm. time I bought these pair of socks, a person in need got a pair. And not only that, I'm going to buy Bomba socks for everybody for Christmas, because when you get your 10 pair of socks, I want you to know that you helped 10 people. And, and that's critical for us to learn because... No matter what company you work with or whatever, you know, people want to know what do you believe in? You know, who are you helping? Where is my money going? Um, and we're at a certain day and age where the consumers dictate everything. There's no more making they will come. They're like, no, I can buy whatever you got from anybody else. Why am I buying it from you? Yeah, no, it, that there's a lot of parallels to what you just described and with respect to what we're seeing in corporate America as well, that idea of having purpose-driven growth. It's something that we talk a lot about at BNY Mellon and the employees that we attract, develop, and retain, they want to work with companies that are making impact in their communities. And so we have to think about that and how we do that with respect to, of course, being commercial, but also, you know, giving back to the communities in which we live and work. It's so critical. Um, you know, you talked about diversifying your business and your portfolio, but I'd love to talk a little bit around diversity efforts in general uh, by businesses and corporations and the ways in which they're working to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. What, what are you feeling and hearing from other Black entrepreneurs? Well, there is a lot of initiatives out there that are no, they're not the, you know, they're not the false putting lipstick on a pig initiatives. These are internal initiatives. This is not, um, you know, the government is making a, a, a standard. They are in some sense, but a lot of 
companies are saying, whether it's the 15% pledge or whatever cases, they're saying we we want to make sure that we give people of uh, in, in various areas, LGBTQ+, women, um, you know, veteran businesses, as well as African-American businesses opportunities. So I am seeing that. But it doesn't happen overnight, you know, because, again, if we don't come from legacy wealth or history, then our grandfather is not necessarily a manufacturer who could take on the capabilities of, of, of being able to manufacture for McDonald's. Right. So we have to, you know, build these infrastructures and um, and collaborate with people of not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, of our background and culture, but allow us to do healthy collaborations where we still own what we have. And we use people as strategic partners. And that needs to happen. Um, but I'm also seeing a little bit, um, you know, on the corporate side, people saying we need people in here who look like the people we serve. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight, though. It's, it's something that, that there's a lot of conversations we have, but I am seeing a more significant change than I've seen in the past 30 years. Yeah, it's really great to get your perspective and to your point the ways in which organizations and, and generally we're starting to see changes, certainly more work to do, uh, but the progress and holding ourselves accountable for that progress, I think is incredibly important. I want to turn maybe to a bit of a fun fact. So in addition to all the work that you do, I know you made a cameo appearance in the hit TV show Billions this season. So question, is it harder to play yourself on business on Billions than it is to be on Shark Tank? I'm not sure if I remember the episode you're talking about. I think maybe it was um, season four, episode seven, um, 34 minutes in, 34 minutes to about 35, 30. Uh, probably, probably. <laughs> probably. That's what you're yes. talking about? Yes, 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 yes. I, I need to be nominated. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The Emmy um, Award winning performance. I think it's under consideration. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is it is super easy to play me. I I want I want to look at roles where I could play somebody else. Um, I, do I want to be an actor? No, not necessarily. Um, but it is super easy to play me because nobody can say, "Well, you're getting yourself wrong." Um, you know, that's not the motivation for the part. But it is so fun, and it is um, it is fascinating to see to sit across the table from when I do work with uh, really well well known actors to see them in their zone, in their craft. And you just feel so, oh, I just feel so like I do not belong here, you know? Um, but it, it's an honor and, and, it's, and, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's nerve wracking. It's very scary. But, you know, if I don't try it, you never know where, where I would go. I would, I'd be kicking myself in the butt. Excellent. Well, you, hear, you heard it here first. I'm sure some of our listeners may have their, their parts ready to go. And you can give us credit if you get, if you get that Oscar at some point. Thank you. Say we heard it here first. Um, so, of course, we're in Black History Month, and I know that you're such an inspiring leader to so many people. But I'd love to hear what Black leader inspires you. So, uh, that is a that is a really really long list. Um, you know that is such a long list. Um, from you know, and we call them leaders. You know, whether it's Muhammad Ali or whether it's. Uh, Marcus Garvey, or obviously Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And of course, um, I had the honor of serving as an ambassador for uh, President Barack Obama. Um, they, they all inspire me, you know, they, uh, but the generation before ours uh, inspired me really. They, they were risking their freedom in their lives um, every single day. And there's so many unsung heroes that we will never know of. You know, maybe we'll hear of a Harriet Tubman, but how many people were helping Harriet? 
um, it is truly amazing. Uh, you know, these these the the forefathers of ours who gave me this opportunity to be a free man and and somebody who can who can be here with you today and be respected because of all the work they put in. Yeah, no, I so appreciate that. And that legacy and history is so important. You know, Bank of New York was founded 300 years ago by Alexander Hamilton. Um, or we like to say our first client wealth management was Eliza Hamilton. So there's a rich history with respect to the bank. And then to be writing the new chapter of what it means to, to represent talent, be active in our community in a way that considers that diversity, that inclusion, that evolution, I think it's so critical. Many of the people that you mentioned are certainly um, so important to that journey. And we can look to them for inspiration, for guidance, uh, for all the things that really help us drive this work forward. So um, it's really nice to hear you reflect on that, particularly this month, um, and continue to think about the ways in which we're inspired by our history is so important. Now, I know we're coming to a close. Um, I'm so grateful for your time today. I just I have one last question, which I think is so important maybe to leave our listeners with, which is really a message for young people, especially young people of color, of course, who are thinking about starting a business of their own. What advice or messages would you share with them? Well, whether it's a person of color or anybody else, but certainly a person of color. Um, you know, in organizations, we're usually the last to hire and the first to fire. Um, and we have to work twice as hard as everybody else. That's just what it is. Let's just call it what it is. And we have to take on that task. But we also have to, you know, every time that I got turned down, I didn't take it out on the other person or assume that they turned it down, turned me down because... Maybe I didn't have a college education. Maybe I didn't come from money. Maybe because I'm black. Maybe because I'm a man. You know what I did? I, I looked at myself and I said to myself in the mirror, was I able to convey my message in a short enough time where it showed value to what I was giving to the person? That person has their own problems. They have their own ambition. They have their own dreams, their own ideas. Was mine better? And can I show them how we work together? I can make their life just a little bit easier. Did I ask the right questions? Did I listen twice as much as I was speaking? because people want to feel important. And then I come back and uh, did I do my homework on the target on what that person needs in life? And then I went back to the person and if they still didn't understand, well, then you know what? I'm not going to take it anyway. I hacked myself well enough. Maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they had an argument with their husband. Maybe it wasn't a great time for them. Maybe they're overloaded. And you know what I did after that? I kissed another frog. And then I kissed another frog and I just kept going down the road. You know, I got distributed, manufactured, and distributed by Samsung's textile division. Does anybody know that Samsung has a textile division? Well, I didn't go after the first five and 10 and the, the, the first 20 hot brands. They were hot. I went after brand number 200 who wanted to be number one. And when you keep doing that, you're going to, whether it's my partners, as I found, as my three other founding partners or anybody, well, as soon as you go down the line, you know, you do a couple of things. Number one, you hack yourself and you see if you have something great. Because after a while, if you really don't have the passion on it, maybe it's just not a good idea. And you also perfect the craft of the pitch. And then you find people sooner or later that says, I needed you here. I have value for you if you have value for me. And you just got to keep going. So that's, that's number one, right? Don't take it personally. Number two is whether you're African-American or whether you're white. We're not taught financial intelligence in uh, school when we grow up. And everything revolves around money, credit. We don't know how taxes necessarily work. Well, you don't know a lot of different things. And at the age of 18 years old, you could potentially acquire $500,000 worth of student debt. And do you know what you're doing with it? So financial intelligence is critical. 
They just don't teach it to us in school. They teach us how to, I don't know, play a trumpet and they teach us how to, to build a birdhouse, but they're not teaching us how to balance a checkbook. And you know better than I do. I don't care if you're the CEO of the house or the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. You're going to have to know how numbers work, period. And I think that's critical for us. Yeah, fantastic words of wisdom, per persistence, determination, hard work, disrupting yourself, uh, not taking it personal, and making sure that you have the information that you need to drive your organization forward. I think those are just such key lessons that can be applied in so many different circumstances and really powerful words to leave our listeners with today. Damon, John, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate this conversation. I appreciate it as well. And we need to see more heroes like you. We, we, we've seen all the athletes and we've seen all the music artists. We need to see more Damon Johns and people like you who are just behind the scenes, but they're doing what they got to do and, and they're people that we can look up to. That's right. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. And whether or not I'm wearing a cape today, I'm happy to say that I'm Jolyn Anderson. This is BNY Mellon Perspectives. Thank you for listening to our session and we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is Garrett Marquis, Global Head of External Communications here at BNY Mellon. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Keep listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Most importantly, and if you're willing, leave a review or rating and tell us your feedback. You can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, bnymellon.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next episode. BNY Mellon is the corporate brand of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation and may be used to reference the corporation as a whole and or its various subsidiaries generally. This material does not constitute a recommendation by BNY Mellon of any kind. The information herein is not intended to provide tax, legal, investment, accounting, financial, or other professional advice on any matter and should not be used or relied upon as such. The views expressed within this material are those of the contributors and not necessarily those of BNY Mellon. BNY Mellon has not independently verified the information contained in this material and makes no representation as to the accuracy, completeness, timeliness, merchantability, or fitness for a specific purpose of the information provided in this material. BNY Mellon assumes no direct or consequential liability for any errors in or reliance upon this material. This material may not be reproduced or disseminated in any form without the prior written permission of BNY Mellon. Trademarks, logos, and other intellectual property marks belong to their respective owners. Copyright 2022, The Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, Member FDIC, All Rights Reserved.